one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing in Regent's Park, NW1, two roads south and west of the first two possible murders by the Blackout Ripper, one road east of the college where Martin Vig Magnusson met a deadly friend, and a short walk south of the brutal slaughter over a sacred elephant. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Just north of Baker Street, Regent's Park is one of several royal parks in London. Covering 395 acres, it has boating lakes, an open-air theatre, a zoo, and limitless space for everyone. Whether a yappy little rat who soils itself every six feet like it's writing its demands in a stinky Morse code, a lycra-clad jogger, whose sweaty whiff makes the flowers wilt, and an attention-seeking turd who ruins every picnic by bringing a guitar so their frail ego can be massaged by the words, Ooh, aren't you talented? Cumberland Green is a wide expanse of grass on the far eastern edge of Regent's Park, just shy of a perimeter road called the Outer Circle. Crisscrossed with a series of interconnecting paths. Unlike the rest of Regent's Park, which is manicured and cultivated, Cumberland Green has no plants, no shrubs, no bushes, no pond, and only a smattering of trees. It's as if the planners simply ran out of ideas. Being flat and unencumbered by obstructions, it's the perfect place for a game of cricket. But if you wanted to hide something, let's say a dead body, this part of the park would be possibly the worst place to pick. On Wednesday the 1st of October 1947, at roughly 10.15pm, it was here that the body of a 35-year-old bookkeeper called Gladys Hanrahan was found. Having been gagged, strangled and beaten, it was clear that she'd been dead for barely an hour. But what wasn't clear was where she had died. As 
with the grass all wet and freshly cut, and her shoes all clean and dry. Someone had carried her here, but why? My name is Michael. I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode one seventy: The Girl with a Smile for Everyone, Part One. It's fair to say that everybody loved Gladys. Being a harmless little dot, barely four foot and eleven inches high, and weighing just eleven and a half stone, she was unmistakable and easy to spot. Known by her loved ones as Renee, she was the size of a child and as fragile as a deer, with pale skin. Punctuated by big grey eyes, lips as red as toffee apple, and her sweet face topped off with brown frizzy hair like candy floss, she was impossible not to love. Everybody said she was a girl with a smile for everyone. Gladys Margaret Irene Hanrahan was born on the third of August, nineteen twelve. In Malibu, barely a few streets from where she would die. As the youngest of two, whereas her older brother was given the name Daniel after his father, with Gladys named after her mother, it's no surprise that she preferred to be called Renee, as her birth name only reminded her of the mother she would have chosen to forget. Shortly after her birth, Daniel and Gladys separated. With Mum having taken the girl, and Dad having taken the boy, although this split fragmented the family, her brother got the better end of the deal. Daniel was a good man; he was solid, honest, and loving. Whereas Gladys was a drinker, who drank till she was sick. Witnessing the neglect that Rennie was subjected to, Daniel fought to get full custody of his children, and won. When she was only seven, Rennie's mother died. It was a tragedy, but also a blessing, as for the rest of her life, Rennie would never be much of a drinker. Just a bottle of Guinness a night, at best. For Daniel, providing stability for his family was vital. Having moved into his parents' house, three generations lived side by side, in supportive bliss. Living alongside his sister and her husband William Reason, although they were not blood relatives, Daniel and William were as close as any brothers. With no children of his own, Uncle Willie treated Renee like she was his own daughter. Since her birth, Renee had been cursed with the worst kind of mother figure. But as she grew, 
she would be blessed with two fathers who would love her without question. Educated at Marleybone Grade School, Rene had an aptitude for maths. Leaving school age 14, over the next 22 years, she would only have two jobs. As a bookkeeper, keeping tabs on the finances at Arthur's stores in Westbourne Grove for a decade, and broken only by her death, 12 years at the Marleybone branch of United Dairies on Blandford Street. As a creature of habit, she works six days a week except Sundays, taking every second Wednesday afternoon off. She hung out with a small but trusted crowd. She always told her dad or uncle where she was going. She rarely stayed out after 10.30pm and she steered clear of any dangers or strangers. Her hobbies consisted of reading poetry and going to dances. Her one vice was that she liked to smoke. She was immaculately dressed with manicured nails and stylish clothes. And when she wasn't working, she helped out in her Uncle Willie's off-license by keeping the books and stocking the shelves. Whether it was owing to her shyness, by the age of 35, Rennie had had a few boyfriends, but she hadn't found the one. She wanted to be loved, but this lack of love in her life left a huge hole in her heart. Plagued with loneliness, although those closest to her would never know this, as batting it away with a beaming smile, she always kept her feelings locked up tight and never wanted to burden others with her pain. Outside, René was always smiling. But on the inside, she was crying. On the 14th of December 1938, with her brother having married, René and Daniel moved in with Uncle Willie and his wife into a three-story terraced house at 7 St Irvins Road in Westbourne Grove. Situated north of Paddington, St Irvins Road was a quiet residential street in a working-class neighbourhood comprising of two long lines of identical houses with the ground floors of a few converted into small shops. Theirs at number seven was an off-license, and next door at number five was a grocer. It was a nice place where everyone was friendly and felt safe. Nine months after they had moved in, war was declared and the world was plunged into chaos. It was a time of fear and anxiety. But like so many streets, the residents of St. Irvin's Road stuck together. 
Next door at number 5 lived Mr and Mrs Butler. Married for 24 years. For the last 17, they had run a small grocery shop on their ground floor, selling tinned stuffs, powdered goods, bread, milk and eggs. Gladys Butler was a private woman who kept to herself. But being a local businessman and a good pal of Uncle Willie, Albert Butler, who everyone called Bert, was a regular visitor to their shop and home. Being businesses next door to one another, there was no rivalry between Willie and Bert. Instead, they helped each other out. If they needed odd jobs done, they knew who to call. As a bookkeeper, Rene did the stock taking in the cellar and kept tabs on the finances for both shops. As Bert had a car, a 14 horsepower Blackford saloon. Not only did they use it to pick up the stock, but also Bert took Daniel, Willie and Rene on trips to the races at Ascot and day trips to the sea at Brighton. From 9 p.m. till bedtime, every night without fail, Bert would come round for a cup of tea, a snack, a natter, and a game of dominoes. Just like Uncle Willie, Bert and his wife never had any children, but he would always regard Rene as one of his own. Her life was blessed. She never really had a mother. But now she had three fathers, and although she was 35 years old, Rene would always be their little girl. By 1947, with the war firmly over, Rene had been a bookkeeper at United Dairies for almost 12 years. She was quiet and polite, but well liked and punctual. She had never been promoted, but not being an ambitious person, she liked the security of a familiar routine. Every day, she called the Circle Line tube from Westbourne Park to Baker Street, taking just half an hour door to door, even with her little legs. She didn't eat out, instead choosing to take sandwiches. She rarely went out in the evenings. Instead she stayed in with her dad and two uncles. But once a week, she and a small group of friends headed out to the Dairy Social Club at Preston Road in Wembley. Having made up a foursome with three other friends from the Dairy, Dorothy Brown, a 34-year-old bookkeeper, Frederick Gedge, a 40-year-old milk inspector, and James Locke, a 27-year-old yard hand. Rene had recently become a little bit smitten by James, who everyone called Jimmy. Their first date was to see a film. Each time he would pick her up and drop her off on his motorbike. And as a guest in her home, the three men in her life would give this young man the once over with a cautious eye. On the bank holiday of Sunday the 31st of August 
just four weeks before her murder, the foursome headed out to the seaside town of Margate. With Dot riding Pillion on Gedge's bike and Rene on the back of Jimmy's, with the engine roaring and the wind in her hair, it was quite a thrill for her quiet little life. For Rene, she really hoped that Jimmy would be the one. And although she wanted to be loved, it was not to be. Wednesday the 1st of October 1947 began like any other day for Rene. Typically, being a day off, with the summer gone, the sky was a dull blanket of grey, which lay a fine wet drizzle on the ground. At 8am, she made breakfast for Uncle Willie and herself, and a meal for her dad as he came off the night shift. She did the cleaning, a little washing, and helped out in the shop, speaking to a handful of customers. At 12pm, with a few errands to run for Uncle Willie, Rene took the 12-minute walk to Barclays Bank at 137 Ladbrook Grove. She picked up a few odds and ends, and as promised, she was back by 2pm. For lunch, they had sausages, mash and peas, with peaches and custard for pudding. And at 5pm, she went to Smith's at 63 Tavistock Crescent, buying her uncle's cigarettes, as served by Mrs. Underwood. So far, her day was unremarkable. But for some reason, her routine would change. That evening, she appeared tired. Although typical of Rene, she never complained. Being a Wednesday, she usually went to the Dairy Social Club in Wembley. And although Jimmy, Dorothy and Gedge had expected to see her there, she never turned up. That evening, before his shift, she asked her dad what films were playing at the cinema. He suggested the Master of Bangdam on Edgware Road. But she never went. Ready for a night out, she was dressed in a light blue frock, a navy blue coat, black shoes. And as always, her nails were brightly painted, her makeup was neat, and her hair was as frizzy as ever. In her brown leather handbag was a makeup compact, five pound in notes, and a cotton hanky, which was stylish, colorful, and clean. Around her neck, she wore a sapphire and diamond pendant, which belonged to her belated aunt. At 5.30 p.m., she had a cup of tea and a piece of cake with Uncle Willie, and it was said she was her usual pleasant self. And as they sat there in the back room, having had a coughing fit, Rennie would ask him 
Uncle, would you like me to stop with you tonight? But seeing that she needed a night off, he replied, No, you go and enjoy yourself. Those would be one of the last words which Uncle Willie would say to Rennie. She had told no one of her worries, as she didn't want to burden those that she loved. But a dark secret was plaguing her mind. At 5.55pm, she left her home at 7 St. Irvin's Road for the very last time. She walked to Westbourne Park Tube Station and purchased a return ticket to Baker Street. Only she never boarded the train. The night fell at 7.12pm. Although with the sky a murky grey, it was hard to tell. Being dark and a few hundred feet from a dotted line of streetlights on the outer circle, Regent's Park was almost empty. Occasionally, the crisscrossing paths would feature a brief hint of life, like a dog walker, a cyclist heading home, or an amorous couple kissing. But with the gardeners having packed up for the day, it was silent. Of the witnesses who found her body, nobody saw or heard what had happened to Rene. Nothing drew their attention, nor aroused their suspicion, and there were no screams nor sounds to mask them. At 10.15pm, Leonard Daniels, a cable worker from Greenwich, was sitting on a bench in Cumberland Green with his girlfriend, Mena August, a domestic servant who worked nearby at Six Chester Place. They had been there for barely five minutes when a short, thick-set man in his early twenties came up, saying, There's a woman lying over there. I think she's ill. Leonard asked, Where? And he pointed, just 50 feet from where they were sitting. Pulling out her torch, Mena shone it upon the wide expanse of grass, with no bushes or trees in any direction. And there lay a woman, seemingly fast asleep. Alerted by the commotion, Thomas Hustwaite, a toolmaker from Hackney, asked, Is she fainted? But having briefly examined her, Leonard's words were clear. No, she's dead. Of those four, Mena, Leonard and Thomas walked to the Old Bunny Street police station, but the thick-set man was never identified. The investigation was headed up by Detective Inspector Jameson and Superintendent Beveridge. It was clear upon arrival that this was no ordinary attack on a lone woman walking through a park at night. It had some of the hallmarks, but too many elements of this scene 
didn't make sense. There was no robbery. Her sapphire and diamond pendant remained round her neck. The rings were still on her fingers, and her brown leather handbag hadn't been opened or disturbed. There was no sexual assault. Not a single item of her clothing or underwear had been ripped, scuffed, or even disarranged. Everything looked as neat and pressed as when she had left home that night. There had been an attack, as with broken fingernails and blackened eyes. It was clear that this tiny lady had valiantly tried and failed to put up a brave fight in her last seconds alive. But it hadn't happened here. Whoever had attacked her had strangled her with a hand and inserted a handkerchief so far down her throat that she choked. Only that hadn't happened here. The detectives would comment, It looked like she'd been laid down, her bag used as a pillow. It was like she was positioned with reverence. As with straight arms, legs and a body, she hadn't collapsed here, but she had been placed. Rene had been dead for nearly an hour, but she hadn't set foot in Regent's Park that night. As with the air moist with drizzle and the grass freshly cut, everyone's shoes were wet and dotted with green sticky clippings. All except Rene's. But who had attacked her? Where had they strangled her? And why did they dump her body here? It made no sense. Cumberland Green was one of the few parts of Regent's Park without any obstructions. With the nearest entrance being from the outer circle, a ring road which loops from Baker Street to Great Portland Street, she was far enough away from the streetlights and traffic but to get to the place where her body was laid, someone had carried her through a gate shrouded by thick, dark trees. Clearly she had been posed and placed in the open. But why did her murderer want her to be found? Whoever it was, they had both loved and hated Rene for whatever reason. And although this attack seemed like a crime of passion, in the heat of the moment, her assailant had made a single mistake. Down her throat, a cotton handkerchief had been forced. It wasn't hers, as being so stylish, Rene's were always neat, clean and colourful. Whereas this, it was old, it was torn, and it was used. It was a man's handkerchief, stitched with the blue laundry mark of XX slash A and the initial D. Police searched the surrounding areas, the streets, the park, and made house-to-house -house inquiries. 
but there were no sightings of Rene since she had left home at 6pm, and no sounds of the attack. With no suspect, the police had three possible theories as to what had happened. 1. Rene had gone for a walk in the park, three miles from her home, and was attacked by a stranger. This was less likely, as she was not the sort of person to go walking in a dark park at night by herself. 2. Chosen at random, her murder was committed by a copycat killer. Inspired by the film Wanted for Murder, where a killer strangles a woman in a London park. Or three, Rene had met a man, he had killed her elsewhere, and he had dumped her body in the park. This seemed to be the most likely theory. Within two days, the police were convinced that her killer was someone she liked, someone she possibly loved, and more importantly, someone she trusted. The next morning, unsure which was the home of Uncle Willie, a reporter entered Bert's grocery shop. Having been a little too eager to get the scoop, they blurted out the tragic truth before the police had even had a chance to inform her loved ones. And within the hour, the whole street knew that René was dead. Informed by a ravenous press, too insensitive of a grieving family's feelings to tread carefully with a deadline looming, when Bert went next door, what he saw was the ashen faces of his pals, Daniel and Willie. Knowing they needed his support, Bert stayed with them until almost 2pm, as the three men who loved her stood in silence and shock. With the door locked and his 65th birthday party cancelled, Uncle Willie put a sign on the door of his off-license, which simply read, Owing to the sudden death of my dear niece, this shop will be closed. As a mark of respect, among the cortege was a long line of milk floats which passed her home at a solemn pace. As on each van lay a brightly coloured wreath which typified this good woman's warmth and love. The church was full of mourners, friends, family, neighbours and colleagues, everyone who loved her. With not a dry eye to be seen, no one could fathom why anyone would hate René, let alone want her dead. And yet, somewhere in this church, someone she knew had murdered her. René was known as the girl with a smile for everyone, but maybe it was one smile too many. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Oh, we did all right on that one. Oh, seems to, seems, seems to be the more episodes I do, the easier it's getting to record them. In the old days, it used to take day like hours and hours and days to record the first one. It take ages to edit them down and get to the point where I think it's it's really helping my dyslexia. Uh, and I, I think I'm also trying to make these scripts not as complicated as well. So, uh, so I, in the old ones, there used to be a lot of tongue twisters, which look good on the page, but were hard to pronounce. But these, not so much. Good. That was me done. Hope you enjoyed that, folks. Uh, if you can enjoy an episode on about uh, a woman's horrible demise. Um, that was The Girl With A Smile For Everyone, part one. Obviously, part two, the final part, happens next week. Um, I'm going to open a win- some windows and doors, get some fresh air in. Oh, Welcome to Extra Mile. See, I almost did it again. Almost did it again. Almost forgot to introduce the whole bloody thing. Uh, if you're new to Extra Mile, this is the unscripted, unedited bit. Uh, we'll do a quiz in a bit. I'm currently opening up, up some windows and doors. Cool, fresh air, nice. <coughs> still, still coughing as always, but getting there. Uh, yeah, we'll do a quiz. I'll fill you in on some extra details about this case. Uh, and that's it. Uh, let's just check we're still recording. Yes, we are. Well done, Michael. Uh, what else going to get in, get in there recovery-wise? Chest still a little bit weird, but uh, after COVID, well, is it COVID? Who knows? I seem to have uh, the shit version. Uh, the, not the shit version, because shit version is obviously the, the horrible version. This was kind of a, a light version. I'd, do you know, I'd I'd rather 
had that than tonsillitis. Tonsillitis is a bitch. Uh, this was all right. I think that's it. I was fully vaccinated and boosted. So uh, there we go. And I, I keep a distance from people as well. Uh, what else is going on? Oh, uh, I'm going to be organising a meet and greet. Uh, I wanted to do something that I thought would be uh, just something nice. It's entirely free, something uncomplicated. Uh, I thought it might be a, a nice event where you can come and meet podcasters and tour guides and YouTubers, all the kind of people you like. So in the link notes below, uh, on the Saturday, the 6th of August this year in Hyde Park, in a specific location that I've, I've marked up so you can find it easily, um, come along. It's bring a picnic. Um, bring your families not a problem at all everyone's welcome you don't need to book tickets this is not like oh you're gonna pay you're gonna pay a lot of money for a ticket none of that shit i'm gonna making this as simple as possible also um it's a day thing so you don't you don't need the the expense of having to get an overnight ticket to london which can be uh, or, or like booking in a hotel on the, any of that expensive shit this is cheap as chips this is free so turn up bring a picnic turn up um not going to be one of these things a formal thing just people sitting on blankets having a chat come and meet some of the people you like have a talk to them on a normal level so yeah nothing stressful so yeah that's what that's what i'm aiming for so saturday the 6th of august uh in hyde park uh link in the show notes telling you exactly where to go and uh, not where to go because that sounds really rude um uh, no plans uh, i i will plan to kind of do it around the rest of the uk if this one goes well no details on that at the moment because i need to get this one done first no plans at the moment to do it overseas but if the other ones go well you never know uh so that's all exciting um uh, as mentioned normally uh there's uh some exciting videos to go with this one uh this episode uh and some photos as well from the uh, archive files um and i uh when i was doing my research for this i i unearthed a little bit of a scoop so even though it was never announced where uh rene was murdered i've worked it out so there we go so if you're a patreon subscriber you will see that you will see that'll be very exciting um big thank you to my new patreon supporters thank you so much uh to megan tyler come on michael say the words megan tyner uh caesar Benetto, anthony gunn and bridget hall so thank you everyone megan tyner caesar Benetto, anthony gunn and bridget bridget hall God, i got a trip up on the last one oh I'm all over the shop. It's because I've had a little bit of caffeine. Too much. Ooh, exciting. Right. Oh, let's dive in. Okay. Uh, we're going to do some quiz questions. Then we'll dive into some extra stuff. So here we go. Ten questions, some of which may get edited out of the episode, uh, some of which I may balls up in a second, but this is unedited, so that's all fine. Question number one. Who was Rene named after? Question number two. What was her two middle names? Question three. What type of shop did Uncle Willie own? Question four. What did Rene's father do as a job? Question five. What are the two nearest connected murders to this one? at the very start i mentioned two murders which are connected to each other but what are they question six following on from question five although there are some similarities i.e strangulation and posing of the body 
Why do we know that that specific murderer did not commit this one? I had to re-edit that question while I was going along because I realised I put the answer to that one in the next one. Right, uh, another question. Uh, question seven. How much money was in René's handbag? Question eight. How much did she drink on average per night? I think we all know a specific person who will get this answer correct. Uh, question nine. How many years had she worked at United Dairies? And question 10, on what street was the dairy where she worked? So there we go. There we go. Right, let's dive into some extra details. I've got to be really careful with this one because I haven't written part two, the final part yes, yet. And that's a really important episode. That's where we're going to dive into exactly who the murderer is and exactly how everything happened. So I, I, I need to be careful not to give away things. Have you, have you worked out who it is? <gasps> have I said who it is? Or maybe it was, maybe it was an outsider who knows. Uh, but there we go. So as mentioned, Rene, uh, blah, 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 details, some details. So uh, she pretty much lived in the Marleybone area, area most of her life. Um, over in Westbourne Grove where they moved to that's about as far as she'd ever moved she pretty much was always within Regent's Park in that area but but that's still not too far away that's only about just just under three miles away uh, and it's as mentioned it's just a couple of hops on the tube um, always a neat lady always polite always well manicured she was uh, four foot eleven inches tall and seven stone so she was only a little dot uh, light brown frizzy hair, grey eyes, a fragile build with a sweet face, um, always stylish, and pretty much her clothes were never out of place. Um, I've, if you go on to uh, the Patreon, I found uh, pictures of uh, Rene, which is great, and uh, weirdly a photographer had been out on the street taking pictures of uh, people, and he'd taken a picture of her literally like a couple of days before she died. She just happened to be a random person in the crowd, and because she's little and she's got frizzy hair and she's, you know, she looks different, he stuck, she stuck out to him. Uh, as mentioned that night, she was wearing a light blue frock and navy blue coatie with no hat. Um, as mentioned, this is, I always put these kind of details in, but this is kind of important for next week. In this episode, it seems like I'm giving you a lot of details, but it's all of these little details are important for next week. So everything that we hear is vital. Um, she was shy, as mentioned. Everyone said that she was obviously a girl with a smile for everyone. Uh, her uncle said that she was an attractive girl with a pleasant nature. Uh, others said a quiet and reserved girl, but popular. She was shy. She tended not to share her personal life with her father or her uncle, uh, but she was always friendly with everyone. She she hadn't got any enemies. She didn't. She she wasn't one of these people who talked up. Therefore, she didn't cause any problems. Uh, a very trusting person. This was key to the investigation. Uh, the police were like, "Why was she in Regent's Park? Who did she go to meet?" And the the thing was, she she did go to Regent's Park for a walk. It's I do that. It's a nice place to walk, but. Um, she's not the sort of person who would go through a park at night do you know she was conscious of her safety she knew she was little she knew she couldn't fight off an attacker um she kind of feared being out late late at night so she didn't do that she didn't meet up with strangers she had a small group of friends who she stuck to do you know this is this is a person who understood her safety really really carefully so uh, um early life uh, her father daniel uh, met uh, married her mother in 1908 in Marleybone uh, her surname was Clayden 
um, they lived with um, his sister and Mr. William H. Reason, who is Uncle Willie. Uh, I've got to be careful because what kind of shop did he run? That's one of the questions. Well done, Michael. You're remembering these. But pretty much that she lived with them for ages. Obviously, her dad couldn't afford to buy his own house because he's 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 earning a wage as a night porter. You know, he's struggling. But luckily, they are blessed with a really nice, really extended family. He got on well with his sister and especially Uncle Willie. Therefore, they they. Rene and Daniel lived with them for roughly around 12 years. Uh, she went to school. She left school at 14, which was standard. She was good at maths and good at literacy. Um, regular job. Um, gonna try not to re-go over some of the things that we've already done in the episode. Uh, let me whiz ahead. Father doesn't really know of any regular boyfriends that she had, but she had invited around a couple of boys before. Her dad would say, I often wish that she had more spare time to, time to go out and about and perhaps to marry. He kind of knew that she wanted to get married, but she hadn't kind of uh, met the one. Uh, good girl. Uh, seldom went out except to go to the cinema, and when she did, she'd go out with family or close friends. Uh, she always made back sure that she came back about 10pm, rarely later than 10.30. I think we've got one or two exceptions where she came back post-midnight, but, you know, she was always walked back or or, or taken back. Uh, she had uh, regular friends. As mentioned, she wasn't a drinker. She didn't have a criminal record. She wasn't a bad person. Um, she worked at United Dairies. For, I mean, it's amazing, like... She'd been working for almost 20 years. No, 22 years she'd been working. Uh, and, uh, yeah, she'd only had two jobs in her whole lifetime. So everyone said that she worked hard. Everyone really liked her. Uh, she's got loads of friends kind of for long periods of time. Oh, what else is there? Let's not go through that. Autopsy. Autopsy was conducted on the 2nd of October 1947 at St Pancras Mortuary uh, by Dr Donald Tear, who has cropped up many times before. Um, he said that the gag consisted of a handkerchief which was rammed well back into the back of her throat. Uh, there were marks of violence. Uh, both of her eyes were swollen. Considerable hemorrhages to her lower lid. Uh, uh, some severe... Um, multiple small hemorrhages to her forehead, a small cut on the right-hand side of her upper lip where she uh, may have been punched, uh, blood on her teeth, uh, an old surgical scar, which was her, when she had an, her appendix out, and bruising to her tongue from the back uh, to the tip. We may go through some of this next time as well. Um, internally, there were some superficial abrasions to the front of her uh, her throat, uh, two one and a half inch long marks these were believed to be her fingernails as she was trying to kind of claw the hand that was strangling her uh, there was no fracture to her skull her heart and internal organs were healthy there was no sign of disease but uh, as she'd suffocated her lungs uh, were congested and had collapsed a uh, small amount of food in her system she'd obviously had an orange uh, they reckoned before she had died that could have been the peaches in fact uh, but no alcohol was detected no evidence of uh, sexual assault uh, and death was caused by asphyxiation and gagging that would have been a horrible way to die having something rammed in the back of your throat um, witnesses that night now we don't know who the first guy was unfortunately the first guy who seemed to find her and then he he went off 
to try and find other people because I don't think he kind of knew what to do. So we don't know who he is. Um, when they went off to uh, go to the police station to get the police, he stayed behind and then he kind of he kind of left. He kind of left the scene and you know, who, we don't know why. We don't know why he he didn't want to hang around. Do you know what? Some people just don't want to get involved, or maybe he had a criminal record and it, he worried about that. So uh, maybe he was on probation or sort of parole or something, and maybe he didn't. He wasn't meant to be out that night. Everybody has excuses. So Thomas Hustwaite, 26, lived in Hackney and he was a toolmaker. He said that night he left the Cameo News Theatre on Regent Street with his girlfriend Rose Kite. She lived on Albany Street, uh, which is just around the corner, and caught the bus to Cumberland Gate. Uh, He walked through the park, across the outer circle. Uh, He was there for about 15 minutes. He walked across the football pitches. Um... He said, after we'd been sitting on the grass for about an hour, I heard a man come walking along the path and stop not too far from me. I looked up and saw him looking away from us towards the outer circle. Shortly afterwards, I saw torches appear and a number of people gather about 50 yards from us on the far side of the path. I got up and walked over to see what was happening and I saw a woman lying on the grass. I spoke to a fellow and said, what, has she fainted? And he replied, no, she is dead. He told me uh, uh, he had found her and had fetched another couple to see her. Very shortly shortly after this, we walked away. Uh, This was when a policeman was bringing a blanket from the van to cover the body. During the whole time, I was sitting on the grass and I heard and saw nothing to arouse my suspicions. Um, Leonard John Daniels was another witness, age 23, a cable worker uh, from East Greenwich. He was dating Menard Augusta a domestic servant who lived on Chester Place, which is one of the side roads. So you've got to go over the, uh, to, out the gate, over the outer circle, and immediately you get to some really, really, really posh. I mean, the houses on, on the outside of Regent's Park are posh. These are like, these are like super, super, super wealthy houses. In fact, the canal runs right at the back of that, and you can't moor up anywhere at the back of that because it's all, well, a lot of it's embassies and kind of millionaires and other tosses uh so that night uh, leonard called for men mena at uh chester place about seven thirty. they went to a cinema in camden they came out about nine fifty and were walking through regis park and then they sat on a seat so um they said they arrived there about 10 p.m now they sat on the seat which when you look at it is only about 50 feet away from where the body was found but the park was dark you're not really looking out for bodies anywhere and also the woman also uh, Rennie was lying down so likelihood is they probably wouldn't have seen them but they said they didn't hear any sounds uh they said we had not been there much for much more than five minutes when a man came up this is the, the thomas that we just spoke about oh no sorry uh this is a different man so the unidentified man i i didn't take much notice of him i remember he had dark clothes an open neck shirt and was without a hat this is the era where everyone wore hats and someone not wearing a hat was kind of all exciting uh he was about 24 years old short and thick set uh he said there's a woman over there lying down i uh, i believe she's ill i said where he indicated uh uh, to, to the park I said what do you mean she's ill he said I've shaken her and she won't answer uh, my young lady got up from the seat and went with the man I took my young lady's torch and shone it where the man indicated and by the light of the torch I could see a woman lying on the ground she was lying on her back she appeared unconscious I cannot describe fully how her limbs were they were straight uh, 
or, or other features because I'm very short-sighted. None of us touched her, uh, and the three of us walked to Albany Street Police Station and told the sergeant on duty about the woman. I went with the constable in the van. I showed him the woman. The PC examined her and told them to wait there while he went to fetch a doctor. Uh, my lady and I were on the uh, seat in Regis Park about 40 or 50 yards from the roadway. We passed a court and couple on the grass, but they were nowhere near where the woman uh, appeared to be unconscious. We saw some people talking in the roadway. We did not see anyone walking in the park. We did not hear any screams or cries or anything suspicious. The only thing that did occur was a couple of reports, which means loud bangs, which appeared to come from a motorbike uh, that we could see a fellow pushing along the road. Uh, that might go into next week's episode. Who knows? Uh, we know that she was murdered roughly around 9.30pm. Uh, according to the police surgeon, because uh, obviously he took her temperature and the air temperature and he was able to determine when she had died. But it's it's an odd place. It's an odd place to dump a body. You've got place... you in, Immediately in front is a bank of really thick trees and that's about 300 feet in front. So he could have dumped her there and she wouldn't have been found until the morning, maybe the day after. Um, <coughs> there was trees to the side of the park where he would have come through... So he could have dumped her there, which would have been easier. But instead, he went forwards about another another hundred feet. So it, it doesn't it make sense. He picked a place near a bench where people would be seated, seated near interconnecting paths. It, this is kind of like a a, a, a triangle shaped piece of grass with no, currently on it are kind of they've put in some new trees. It's kind of circles just around the area where Rene was where her body was found but back then there was nothing there it was absolutely flat so it doesn't make any sense why he would choose there to dump her body ah what else we got yeah as mentioned in the episode nothing wrong with her clothes at all hadn't been disarranged in any way her handbag was under her head almost as if it was a pillow we've seen this kind of thing before with the um the the one at the start of this series that the the hotel murder david frooms um after he had attacked and raped and strangled the young lady in the in the hotel room he put the bed sheet over her because he was kind of worried he didn't want to leave her by herself which is kind of a weird thing to say it's almost as if he had compassion for her yet he didn't have so much compassion that he uh he didn't not murder her uh what else we got what else we got a couple of things here which i'm not going to discuss that one that one's quite interesting for uh, next week i'm going to save that one uh it, it, detective inspector john jameson said it looked like she'd been laid down and her bag was being used as a pillow before the murderer left her uh neither her outer clothing nor her underclothing uh were were in the least disarranged um they said she she'd been placed down there with almost reverence. There was no suggestion that she'd been interfered with at all, uh, or that she was the type of person uh, who would go to the park for kind of any kind of naughty things. Um, they didn't feel that she'd been picked up by someone undesirable in the park and had died trying to defend herself. She just wasn't that kind of person. Um, what else we got i think i think that's all i want to say yeah let's not do any more 
don't want to I don't want to do too much because uh, next week's episode is kind of important. It's got all the key piece of information in there, and I don't want to give away too much with this one. So let's do the quiz questions, <sighs> and then I will go to Costa Coffee. Ah, oh, yes, and I will have my uh, my uh, uh, soya latte with one shot, and I will sit there with everything connected up. Uh, all my electrical stuff, and I will abuse abuse their system. Lovely. Right, quiz questions. Here we go. Question number one. Who was Rene named after? Nice easy one. It was her mother. Question number two. What, what were her two middle names? They were Margaret and Irene. Question three. What type of shop did Uncle Willie own? It was an off-license, which is just another way, if you don't know, of uh, it's a place where they sell drinks. Not a pub. It's a place where you can buy bottled drinks and cans and and shit. Not shit. Uh, Question four. Uh, What did René's father do as a job? He was a night porter. Question five. What are the two nearest connected murders to this one? There were the two first possible murders by the Blackout Ripper, which were Edith Humphreys and Mabel Church, and they were not far away. That was literally about two streets. Uh, Question six. Although there are some similarities, i.e. strangulation and posing of the body, why do we know that the Blackout Ripper, who obviously may have committed the murders of Edith Humphreys and Mabel Church, uh, how do we know that the Blackout Ripper did not commit this murder. It's simple. This is 1947 and he was executed in 1942. So unless he came back from the grave, he didn't commit these. Uh, Question seven. How much money was in René's handbag? Uh, It was five pounds, which today would be roughly around 180 pounds. Which is uh, quite a lot of money to have in your in your bag. And we don't know why. We don't know. Maybe it was the money she got from the bank when she was there. Maybe she got to give it to her uncle. Which is unlikely as she did the books. But we don't know why she was carrying £180 in her purse. <coughs> Question 8. How much would she drink on an average night? I think PCAG will get this one. It was a bottle of Guinness. Question nine. How many years had she worked at United Dairies for? It was 12 years. And question 10. On what street was the dairy where she worked? It was on Blandford Street. There we go. So more next week. Part two. Uh, Looking forward to working on that one. That's going to be an interesting one. I know that I know the ending to this. And that's all I'm going to say. But yeah. Anyway, if you have any theories about who you think the murderer is, let me know. Let me know. I post things on social media. Let me know. Put in the comments below. Let me know your theories uh, and find out next week if if they're true or not. Anyway, that's me done. Uh, Have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Uh, Don't get into trouble, uh, etc., etc. Oh, Coot obviously just said goodbye then. Have yourself a good week. Stay safe. Be good. Lots of love.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.